You're listening to the Blue Box Podcast, and for the next 60 minutes, we're going to be talking about Doctor Who so that you don't have to. I'm JR. Hello, I'm Lee. And I'm Simon. Uh, oh, let's start with an email. Uh, oh, it'd help if I got the right emails out. There we go. Uh, Miles Northcott. <clears throat> I love it when you say emails, and it's plainly on paper right in front of you. Just... Oh, but it's not usually, because usually we're on Skype. I know. It's so nice you... going back to the old-fashioned way, though. I like doing it the old-fashioned yeah. way. There's <laughs> Paper emails. Let's <laughs> see where I am. <laughs> the, the the one bad thing about doing it the old-fashioned way is I've got you two fleshy bastards in front of me. <laughs> I've never been called a fleshy bastard. Well, you look it through these glasses, Simon. <clears throat> <clears throat> Miles Northcott says, hello, boys. When he says hello, boys. Hello, boys. I know. No, but when he says hello, boys, do you imagine him in a blonde wig and one of those black push-up bras? Yeah, and one of those giant posters on a roundabout. What was she called? Ever hurts Over. That's right. So many accidents on the road. Hello, boys, says Miles. Just been listening to your season 35, series 8, preview show, season 35. Honestly. And you were talking about episode 8, which was described as the Doctor catches up on his phone calls. And JR (laughs) seemed convinced that it related to the phone call at the end of the Big Bang. I immediately thought something different when I heard that, and that was that it relates to the phone call that Clara got in the Bells of St John, giving her the Doctor's number. I believe that this will all tie in with the gatekeeper, Missy, who has already described the Doctor as her boyfriend, and if that is in any way accurate, then she likely would have a contact number for him. Whether this implies that she is River Song or not, I don't know. In many ways, I hope not. But I must admit, it would be an intriguing development. Almost caught up with you now. This is Miles, who's been listening to our entire back catalogue across the last fortnight. You poor thing. Still loving the podcast. Keep it up, chaps. Catch Mm. you earlier. Now, he says that when the Doctor said that he was catching up on his phone calls, he thought it might be the phone call that Clara got in the Bells of St John. Simon and Lee, what's the immediate problem there? Okay, I'll tell you. Maybe I don't care enough. (laughs) (laughs) The Doctor's catching up on his phone calls, not Clara's phone calls. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's his phone calls, isn't it? Yeah. Yes, yes, that's the problem. (laughs) (laughs) He's not going to be catching up on a phone call that took place when he wasn't even there. (laughs) Can I just say something? I know this is a sort of pedantic thing that we're supposed to say as Doctor Who fans, but she calls him boyfriend. Yeah. Also, River Songs' his wife. I, well, I've got I've got a theory about it, but it's probably been said a million times. I don't look at forums and things, and maybe you guys have said it already. And it's an it's old hat, so I know you're going to groan when I say it. But there's a reason. Hang on, why. hang on, hang on. Yeah, should we hold it, Simon? Mm. <laughs> oh, I just thought we'd get the groans in first. <laughs> so you should wait till like you hear it first. You'll groan afterwards. Okay. <clears throat> okay. So she's a gatekeeper. All right, that's fine, whatever. 
but I genuinely women. think the way She's the in gatekeeper which... of the nether sphere. Of the nether, nether sphere. I've got a couple of spheres in my nether regions. Do they need gatekeeping? Sometimes I I desire gatekeeping, but it doesn't always happen. A little bit well, more polish. I'm going to keep the key in my pocket. Um, bit of spit and polish. Oh. <laughs> what is this to carry on? You know, it's a <laughs> you can tell it's Robert and Sherwood. This one. Um, Robert of Sherwood. <laughs> <laughs> that oh, I, that's what we should call this episode <laughs> robert of Sherwood. i think i this is my, yeah. my own stupid theory okay okay so she has grabbed a organic half man half robot she's grabbed a soldier she's grabbing people who are dying basically oh that's interesting because go on carry on because okay. i can't think what i meant to say but i thought of something this afternoon and it was come back. I, said the last, I said on the last one that it was people who've given their life it's people that are, are dying oh, at the hand of the, not at the hand of the doctor, but because of the doctor. Well, and she's she's go possi- on, do possibly time scooping these fellows or and females the second before they die, so, as they're dying. Actually, mm. um, you know, if somebody's being scooped as they're dying, some biological stuff needs to be, you know, a, a, you have to apply this in order for them to be alive. Could be a TARDIS, this lovely garden, and all of that kind of business. And I'm just thinking, if it's a, if there's a time to bring back the Rani, this would be the brilliant time to do it. She's a genetic scientist, oh. bring her up to date, and she'd be she would make an excellent Rani. Or if she's stealing them as they die, she could be turning them into Cybermen. Oh. Or alternately, I mean, <laughs> I think it's the Matrix. Ooh, oh, even better. Nobody said this, as far as I'm aware, even anywhere. Better. No, you just said it. Yeah, I've been thinking this for a while, actually. Right. I haven't said it out loud. Yeah, it's not a real place. Because people have been asking me about specific things, like, is it the master? And I'm saying, well, it could be the master if X, Y, and Z, yeah. which is what I said on the last podcast or the one before. But nobody said to me, what do you actually think it is? Well, I think it's probably going to be something entirely new because it's Stephen Moffat, and every time he does something that somebody thinks is going to be something from the past, it's something entirely new. There is this but assumption is, that it's something we already know, isn't there? There's always an assumption that it's something we already know. How many times has Susan turned up over the last three years and then <laughs> and then failed to turn up? <laughs> and the bloody Rani. Yeah. Well, I know. I know we had a we had a big discussion about this Rani business, and I, I understand. I'm not a massive massive Rani fan. I just think the idea of her is pretty good, mm. that she's this kind of, um, you know, she's a neutral character and she could easily be brought up to date, echoing our fears at the moment about genetic science and all that kind of stuff. Easily done, easily put into an episode of Doctor Who in this modern day with Peter Capaldi. And she would be excellent, the actress that's doing but it. But you've also got to think about the fact that it's Stephen Moffat who's writing yeah, it. It's true. Because Stephen Moffat doesn't do sciencey y stuff. Having said that, you could use the Rani as an excuse to do fantasy wantasy stuff. <laughs> I had to be very careful how I said that. <laughs> but she also says boyfriend. There's no reason to think not to think that her and the Doctor were boyfriend at the Academy. Which is why I think it's the Matrix. Right. Because, it, you know, I don't think it's the Matrix, which is why I think if it's anything from the Doctor's past, then it's the Matrix, because this nether sphere, right, is... a got to be a bubble universe right and that's got to be where Gallifrey is right Mm -hmm. so if Gallifrey is in a bubble universe and presumably the time lords who are in this bubble universe possibly locked in some kind of chronic hysteresis time loop or something because that's how it was going to go when they were originally Mm. locked away right I don't know I can't remember I haven't got it all in my head but presumably the time lords are on Gallifrey in this bubble universe out of action (laughs) 
But somehow, in locking this double universe away, there's got to be a doorway, right? Hmm. Doctor needs some way of getting in there. So there has to be a doorway or a gateway. And if there's a doorway or a gateway and somebody is looking after the doorway or the gateway, then what better way to do it than the Matrix breaks, you know, because the Matrix is virtually sentient, right? Mm. It's not quite sentient, but there's always been a sense that in some ways it has a sort of sentience about it. What better way to do it, especially in Stephen Moffat's fantasy, fantasy Doctor Who, than have the Matrix, this composite of all the imagination, all the memories of the Time Lords, mm. becoming a sentient being that presides over the gateway between that universe and ours. And she becomes like the the Keeper of the Matrix, except rather than the Time Lord who's looking after the Matrix, she's an aspect of the Matrix that's looking after the Time Lords, and she becomes the Gatekeeper. And the Matrix, if all the Time Lords are locked away inside, and there's one Time Lord out in the universe that is free and at large free to roam, mm. then the Matrix, if it becomes like a virtual sentient being and takes on a personality, what other way is she going to think of the Doctor than as the errant boyfriend off running around in the universe and she wants him back? Mm -hmm. Because all the other Time Lords are in there and that one is the one Time Lord who's somewhere else who should be with all the other Time Lords in her little bubble. That does make utter sense because you think the soldier and the droid who both die are sitting there pretty much unharmed. There's nothing, there's nothing, you know, you see that the droid looks dead, um, speared at the end of the episode, and you see that the soldier's getting evaporated as we fade out. So it would make sense that it's the Matrix, it's the repository of all of the Time Lord's and here's memories the, yeah. going straight in. And carrying on with that, oh, that's nice. Carrying on with that, on that train of thought. <laughs> Evaporated. Sorry. How long before we get to Robert of Sherwood? Carrying on that train of thought, right? The Matrix is the repository for the memories of all the Time Lords <laughs> when they die. So you get absorbed into the Matrix <clears throat> at the point of death. Now, if the Matrix is trying to catch the Doctor, then she's going to be collecting people who are at the point of death in the vicinity of the Doctor. What have we seen? Mm. Two people die in the vicinity of the Doctor and at the point of death get absorbed into this nether sphere. Well, this is just me rambling as usual. Oh, I think but... that was pretty, that's pretty good, actually. <clears throat> I've got to say. Do you know what, though? That's, if that's a not... lot better than my theory. <laughs> okay. But if that's not quite right, who else is? And if... Okay, the, the two that we've seen go in both sacrifice themselves in some way, potentially, and it could be that by sacrificing yourself is how you get to go in there, mm -hmm. which might be how she's trying to trap the Doctor because she thinks if he dies, he would have to be sacrificing himself because that's what he does. So that may, might be how and why she's catching people like that. Now, in Robot of Sherwood, we did see the robots trying to find the Promised Land, right? Mm. But they hadn't found it, just as Half-Faced Man hadn't found it until he sacrificed himself, and that's when he finds the Promised Land, at the point of sacrifice. So if these robots had sacrificed themselves, then maybe they would have found the Promised Land that they were looking for too. Now, who else has sacrificed himself in the last couple of weeks? Shares a nickname with Russell T. Davis. Rusty the Dalek. Mm. 
Could Rusty the Dalek be coming back at the end of the series? Mm. I hope so. I hope so too, because he was great. Rusty was good. He's the new handles. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Okay, moving on. Now that we've spoiled a load of things for a load of people. Sean M. Vale, who just missed us before our last podcast, has written in saying, I had very low expectations once I realised that Into the Dalek was literal. But the story turned out to be great. The Doctor is really coming into his own as a new regeneration, one who I think will be one of my favourites. There's a lot of callbacks visually to Carnival of Monsters, also thematically to The Invisible Enemy. Also, some thematic remembrance of the Daleks from Evil of the Daleks. The new Doctor is coming to his own here with a distinct personality that I can relate to. Hints of most of my favourite Doctors. I have a feeling that Capaldi will be legendary. After watching this episode, I feel very similar to the way I felt after seeing the 11th hour. He's going to be amazing. Oh, and by the way, I've realised that I don't care who Missy is. I've formed a possibility in my mind, but I'm probably wrong. I'm just enjoying some new who. Let's just have fun. Mm. Hey, Sean, you need to tell us. You can't just leave us there. Or what his theory is. Yeah. Sean, send us your theory. Did we read it out, actually, on one of the podcasts last week or the week before? Even if we did, send it again. Mm. Yeah, yeah. P.S. I just listened to the Into the Dalek episode. He obviously means the Blue Box podcast review. Mm -hmm. From the first time I watched it, it bothered me that what they considered a good Dalek was one that wanted to commit genocide against its own race. (laughs) Even considering that the Daleks are totally evil, how can this Dalek's newfound morality be considered good? Well, Lee and Simon, what do you think of that? That's a very fair point. I I thought the same thing, actually. I thought that... um, I thought, well, if it really was a good Dalek, then it would think that killing was wrong. So um, essentially what it's done is almost like reprogrammed itself to find Mm. a new target. So it's still a war machine. It's just decided it's got a new target. It's not a good Dalek, no. Um, Well, in a sense, they're just using the word good as in how you use the word good when you're a kid and you have mm. goodies versus baddies. Mm. Goodies just means one side, baddies just means the other. Mm. So a good Dalek is just a Dalek that's on the goodies side. Yeah, yeah, so it's not. Yep. It isn't a good Dalek, is it? I mean, in it doesn't, a sense, doesn't want to really make you cups of tea and chess wild flowers, does it? Right, we've finished that piece of paper. So for the benefit of audio, I'm going to make a paper aeroplane and toss <laughs> it across the room. Probably into my face as well. No, across what the you're room. Doing that, shall I tell you what I thought of inside well, the Well, I was just going to say, while I'm making the paper aeroplane, <laughs> it's the nearest I can get to an arrow. Or a TARDIS, even. No, because we're talking about Robot of Sherwood, aren't we? Oh, that's an aeroplane. Yeah, I can say I can't make an arrow, so the best I can do is a paper dart. Okay. So I'm making a paper dart. Tell us, I was just going to say, while I do this, tell us about Into the Dalek, Lee, because you weren't here last week. No, Into the Dalek, when I first watched it, I've got to say, I came away from it being pretty grumpy about it. Uh, It's all right, Lee, I've finished now, let's launch the paper (laughs) aeroplane. (laughs) Nothing made sense to me, I just thought, oh God, this is is not great. So I went on a massive rant, go on and throw it. That was terrible. Absolute rubbish. Because you emailed me with what you thought, and I said, go away. Have a sleep and watch, <laughs> and it, watch again, it again. And you're in a better mood. And I did, didn't I? Yeah. And I came back to you and went, oh, actually, it's really good, isn't it? Um, Do you no. remember how you two felt about Journey to the Centre of the TARDIS when you first watched it? Because you were both a bit... I was a bit yeah, kind of like, uh, apart from Clara, who I absolutely fancied to death. 
that was well, the moment. Did you yeah. find that lived better afterwards? Yes. I've not watched it again. I haven't watched it again. No, it's watch it again. It is better. Yeah. Second time, yeah. I but absolutely this... love that episode, which most people seem to hate. I think it's one of her... Oh, no, I didn't hate it the first time I watched it. I, I... No, I will. I'll watch it again. There are certain episodes I still realise I haven't watched for a second time. <laughs> this was a little bit like that, though. Mm. And that obviously it really was. was a journey into the interior. It was. And there were lots of things that I could pick it, and I'm not going to um, tonight, because I haven't got time. But, you know, it, it, the, it was a best of for me. It was like looking, me and Finn both watched it, and we were commenting as we were watching it. And he said, oh, look, that's those are from Let's Kill Hitler, the antibodies. That's from this, that's from that. That's what, and we were picking out all the best of. I got the Carnival of the Monsters bits on the you know the fantastic uh bits of circuitry in the wall that looks so hokey and then this week they mentioned the miniscope yeah yeah, yeah. i know yeah, i got excited about that too but the whole thing definitely needed a second watch so i suggest anybody who's watched it only once to go back and re-watch it because capaldi is on fire i mean it's just unbelievably brilliant all the way through it um wow, now this week we'll get into this more later yeah it's like does he actually know how to do smiling doctor no. Well, this mm. was my point. I said to Simon that inside the dialogue, I thought, I really like him. You know, he's pretty harsh through this. Um, but it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't go amiss to just see a smile. Maybe a little bit lighter. Because Tom Baker could get away with smiling, saying if you check yeah. things. Tom Baker could be moody as hell, but he'd still give you a big toothy grin. Yeah, exactly. So we're kind of allowing other people to give us, give us a smile at the moment. Um, and, well, you know, Robert Sherwood. <laughs> <laughs> the point is, with Peter Capaldi, he's an absolutely magnetic screen presence, but you can be as magnetic a screen presence as you want. If people don't like the character you're playing, eventually they're going to start turning off. Mm. And I'm just slightly worried, especially as next week's another dark one, that if he doesn't start smiling and lightening up a bit soon, my worst fears will be realised. Because I said before he started... As much as everybody wants him to be a darker doctor, it's got to be shades of dark and light. Mm. But actually, you know, we're three episodes in now, and I'm waiting for the shades of light to turn up mm. just mm. a bit. Yeah. It's like even at the end where he shakes Robin's hand and goes into the TARDIS and says, I've left him a present. It's like only the barest minimum of smiles. You made the point, didn't you, Lee, that... Oh, just, yeah, I'll try and remind you of what the point you made. You said about why on earth is he so grumpy when you consider. Yeah, the the fact is he's been given an, a new run of regenerations, I presume, from the beginning. He's, yeah. He's been saved by the Time Lords. He's rescued, he rescued that whole planet. He's defeated all the enemies that you could think about. You know, he pretty much went out on a high, um, strangely enough, by, you know, saving Gallifrey. Uh, yeah, he's lost it, but he saved them. Um, and there he is, brand new kind of regeneration cycle right at the beginning. He's got no nobody to really rile against. Last season he had loads of people to be angry at, but this time he hasn't. So what's he actually angry at? It, this was this is the thing. He's very very cross at everything, mm. but we seem to be missing something that he can be actually physically cross at. Apart from when he walks towards the Dalek, which again is another brilliant moment. Um, it's like the Sixth Doctor all over again. Yes. Which is what I really didn't want. The first two weeks, it looked like he was going to be Tom Baker's Doctor all over, all over again, and we talked about it at length, mm. especially last week. Simon and I talked about it again a lot more. Mm. And but, but as you just said, the thing about Tom Baker's Doctor is he would grin and he would be friendly. Mm. He'd do, there'd be different shades. And the further we get into Peter Capaldi at the moment, 
you know, the less shades we're finding, mm. not oh, more. Oh, yeah, he's the, he's the, he's the anti-hero of old, isn't he? <clears throat> he really is. You know, I mean, it, it, this week's episode kind of ran at home for me a bit when he was on the log over the stream with Robin at the beginning. Brilliant scene. I love that whole scene, actually, with a spoon and everything. It's really funny. We'll get, get to that in a minute. But um, there was the moment where he said, oh, you know, you're smiling. I, I can't stand people who smile. I, I'm going to punch you in the face, basically. I'm going to smack your face in if you smile. Funny, but not. Because yeah. the Doctor would never say that. Not any well, incarnation of the Doctor ever. That whole scene in the dungeon where the and two of them are bickering well. backwards and forwards. Yeah. A great performance. Yeah. And some very funny dialogue. But it just went on and on too long. and on. Yep. Yep. And by the time you get to the end of it, you're thinking to yourself, is this really the Doctor? Mm. Because, yeah. you know, it, you can imagine the Doctor, <laughs> you can imagine certain of the Doctors, the first, the fourth maybe, and the sixth, behaving like that. But all of those Doctors would have kind of surrendered the ground or would mm. have changed the conversation so that it took on a different tone. They wouldn't have just hammered home with the bickering. But here's Capaldi, mm. and for a scene that lasts for something like two minutes, which that is a lot of edited. screen time. Should have been edited. That, mm. yeah, strangely, that scene would have worked really well with the Fifth Doctor. That would have. It might have been. In desperation rather than anger. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and, and that especially would... the Fifth Doctor of the Big Finish series as well. Yeah. he's got a more, slightly more grumpier aspect as well. That does actually... Yeah, but then you do work. get the lighting shade because you know full well he's just... Yeah. A little bit wound up with being locked up. So, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, I quite yeah, the like trouble the idea... is when you're locked up you, and you're wound up, but when you're wound up all the rest of the time yeah, as well. Yeah. And this is paying homage, isn't it, to all of our Doctor Who's of the past of them being incarcerated and stuck <laughs> in prisons all the time. And Clara gets, you know, that joke about, um, oh, we're going to release the leader of the pack, and they're arguing. As soon as they started arguing, I said to Finn, it'd be Clara. Yeah. And he went, yeah, I know, Dad. I know. You know we knew so telegraphed. Like, Come on. You know, you can play this better. It uh, it may well. I I think I said to you as well, Lee, that I, it may relate to that thing of him seeing his reflection in the puddle and saying, or in the mirror, or whatever it was, and About saying, "Why is my why have I got this face? Yeah. Why am I so angry?" Well, so. Yeah. so Makes yeah. you start wondering now why you made such a deal about having independently angry eyebrows. Yeah. Because they're not independently angry at all, are they? <laughs> There's nothing yeah. independent about both it. On the, the point mission, about that they? joke, about it being obvious, yeah, that's fine and fair enough. But six and eight-year-olds might not find it obvious. And an eight-year-old is on the cusp of realising yeah. and works it out before it happens for that person. That's this, a classic moment. But you're right, this whole episode worked really well on that level. Uh, there's a 10-year-old yeah. watching it that I know now. We talk about it quite a lot too. And he really enjoyed it. He just thought it was a great laugh, the whole thing, from start to finish. For me, there were many cringy parts. and you know, Okay, cringy parts. Cringy parts as in the knowing, even at the beginning. When he comes in and he says, oh, it's, it can't be Robin Hood, you can't be Robin Hood. He's doing all this kind of testing on him. It's quite funny. Um, you know, oh, they've got to be androids. We've got to be in a miniscope. I love all that. I thought it was great. But then I thought, well, now he said it, they definitely are not. And that it really yeah. is Robin Hood. That's the yeah, joke. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, okay. So that really is Robin Hood then? With but the slap on my thigh. Ha ha, business. Didn't you oh, then spend the rest oh of the episode thinking, am I right? No. Because I don't mind working <laughs> At that things. At point, I actually thought, oh my God, we're stuck with Robin Hood. I don't he really mind, is like that. I don't mind working things out in advance because I'm always then thinking, but am I right? 
Because there's always a possibility it that you're not. It didn't feel clever enough, which is odd, because Mark Gatiss's writing normally is quite clever, but it just didn't Ooh. seem clever enough to me to trick me in any... There were so many things, like the joke that we were talking about, that was so cliched, maybe. So mm. we've seen it all before. You know, yeah, the, the whole Gatiss thing about the golden arrow and the, and the competition and Clara guessing beforehand. If you know Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves, Robin Hood, the Disney, Robin Hood, everything else, you know this story. Why are we seeing it? Well, we're seeing it unless they're a really good point. I was watching it, and as much as I enjoyed it, I'll come to the fact of how I enjoyed it. Um, I wasn't dressed yeah, yeah. in anything strange. Or no, anything, no, but no. Um, yeah, I was going to say it, it did. We did, feel, we did enjoy it. It did feel like Mark Gatiss took the original Robin Hood story and then just put the Doctor in. Yeah, yeah. I was just think... augmented it and. When I was watching it the first time, I kept waiting for the thing that would be new, the thing that would be different, the mm. thing that would mark it out. And apart from the robots, which is obvious because mm. it's Doctor Who, the ro- and I and you're almost thinking, God, I hope they're not robots, and I hope something else marks it out as different, apart from just the robots. But you know, it was just that they're robots, and that's all that marked it out it is yeah. and it's, it seems mm-hmm. to me another yet another shame I mean, we'll write his heads now aren't we again and be writing the episode but um for years and years i played a game a uh, science fiction game role-playing game with a friend years ago and he created this whole story it's really quite fun and what he did was he described a jousting tournament but he described it like an alien would be watching it to me because i was an alien in the game so therefore i was trying to guess what he was talking about all these strange beasties and these big you know robots with spears and i was thinking, what is he on about basically i've time traveled back into the medieval time i didn't know what i was looking at so it's really quite clever i was just hoping i was just thinking yeah they've got to be robots they are robots aren't they and they were robots but at the same time i was thinking and there was, yeah. there was nothing else there was nothing else they they were doing with these these robots nothing no. And I just think it's an amazing kind of missed opportunity that you could have... I mean, ha- there's... A... Then why not stick it in a miniscope, actually? Yeah. There's like... That would have been a laugh, wouldn't it? There's little <laughs> quibbles, like... There's a logic quibble about why would they be sending the sheriff out to get this gold when they're robots and they can just go out and kill people, so they might as well just storm the Tower of London and steal <laughs> well, the gold yeah. from there, because that would you be need enough gold storm. for them, yeah. Yeah. and it would yeah. be over and done with in a couple of weeks. That's a minor quibble in plot logic terms, because in plot logic terms, you do need something to kickstart the plot, right? Mm. But in writerly logic terms, that's a major quibble, because is that all he's got? Because in terms of how stories go, he's literally just plonked the Doctor and Glara into Robin Hood's story. And, you know, apart from the obvious, it's got robots in. He's not turned the story on its head in any way. It no, felt, really. for me, it felt more like a classic Who than any other sure. Who since it's come back. Because it worked at that fairly simple level. Well, it worked um, almost like, well, it worked very, very, very much like uh, one of the historicals from Hartnell. Because you take the robots out and the robots basically didn't do anything that regular Black Knights wouldn't have done, so they needn't really have been robots at all, apart from the lasers. And, you know, take the lasers out, doesn't make any difference to the story. In terms of the plot and the story, it was like the Doctor turns up in Reign of Terror France, gets involved in an intrigue, escapes and leaves. This was like Doctor turns up in 12th century England, gets involved in an intrigue, escapes and leaves. It was an historical 
Mm. It was a very simple historical. Could have been. I mean, it was all about the banter between Robin Hood mm. and the Doctor. And it was just a real shame the robots were there at all. You could easily have just that the whole story could have been: Is Robin Hood real? Mm. And yeah, the Doctor arrives yeah. there in the first place and says, "No way is Doctor Who real." And Clara's is Robin Hood real? And Clara's is right there in front of you. And all this stuff about Robin Hood being a mythical hero mm. who becomes lost as a person and the legend lives on mirroring what happens with the doctor and we've actually seen this quite a bit in Stephen mm. Moffat's the yeah in a good man goes to war oh you know the word doctor came from the doctor and now on this planet it means warrior because of what the doctor's doing mm. this all fits together this is all about the legend rather than the man mm. could easily have got done away with the robots done away with the spaceship and literally just had the entire episode be about whether this Robin Hood that the Doctor's found is real or not and made it into a philosophical episode with bags of fun and running around and arrows and sword fighting. I think you're fighting. absolutely right. You didn't need that ending with the spaceship. You didn't, you know, fun though it is for kids to look at that and go, oh, you know, golden arrow and whatever. You didn't need all that. And you, the robots, I thought, were a brilliant design and I love the robots. But you, again, you're right, you didn't need them. You just needed a really good story because I love Robin Hood anyway and it's just good fun. Hmm. You know, I've gone about certain Jeff... stories being like a comic strip. Yes. But this was like a comic strip, but a TV21. This is a third Doctor comic, <laughs> comic strip. This, is, this wasn't a John Ridgway. This Jeff... wasn't a... Yeah. Jeff Waddell. I think it's Jeff Waddell. Yeah was talking on Facebook to me. And he, before the episode started, he said, oh, get ready for Time Warrior 2. And it was. he's right. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) Exactly what it's like. Apart from the kind of interesting time travelling aspect. See, we've got the thing, the castle blowing up at the end, basically. So this time it flies up into the sky and blows up. But you're right, it is a TV-21. But it's really, it's really, it was really simplistic. And I don't say that as a bat, because... For me, I I used the term, funny, on Facebook, I used the term that it blew out the cobwebs because it did, (laughs) because it was so straightforward and it was such easy watching that, you know, apart from the the niggles, it it just happened and it just played out like a Disney movie. One really good thing about it and one really bad thing about it, the really good thing about it is after two quite sombre, sober episodes, it was... You know, a blast. Yeah. But the really bad thing about it was because the scenes went on too long. And I don't know, I think either the director or in the writing. And I always say this about Mark Gatiss's writing, that he can't write real people. So when he sits down to write a romp, like the Crimson Horror, that should be fine. And this one just had a little bit too much reality impinging on, so it didn't feel quite right. Mm. Which may be set in the director's mind. Okay, I'm going for a romp, but I can't camp it up too much. So some of the performances seemed inconsistent. Robin mm. winking at the camera at the start. But then he has a few scenes where he's serious and you can't work out whether he's supposed to be a cartoon Robin Hood or a real person Robin Hood. You know, and he sits somewhere in think, between. It's a bit yeah, inconsistent. That, yeah, that was something that wasn't really working because uh, there was this big thing, why do you keep laughing? And the whole idea was he was laughing to cover up the fact that he was you yeah. know, destroyed inside. But that wasn't consistent. No, I I did like that idea that the yeah, fact like is that he's idea. he's full of he's full of laughter and bluster and ha ha you know my merry men brilliant but mm. underneath he's the clown crying type thing that that worked quite well I thought it wasn't that bad it was it was a bit inconsistent but I got it I understood it but I don't know really whether it was play play, out, did it, it didn't play out no, no. Right. 
that's the only it's thing. A, and the directing is very odd. If it, with <clears throat> Crimson Horror and Mark Gates' script, I thought the, the two were married beautifully. Wasn't Saul Metstone directed that one? Crimson Horror, yeah. Yeah, and well, we go on about his direction. I love his direction. It's fantastic. It just worked brilliantly. For some reason, it, you're right. It's just the thing about the pacing seemed a bit bit comedy, over the place. and the thing about action is it's all about timing, right? Yeah, yeah. None so when the Doctor comes out of the TARDIS and says, you know, you brought me here looking for Robin Hood. There's no such thing as Robin Hood. And then he sees a guy over the other end of the glade. And then he walks around the bush a bit to get a closer look at the guy. And then the guy notices him and sort of leans over and takes a closer look and sees this fella at the other side of the glade who's just come out and said there's no such thing as Robin Hood. And then he says, you called? You're called only works if you say it an instant, a split second after there's no such thing as Robin Hood. You don't have 20 seconds of people staring into space in between. <laughs> the punchline is lost. And who it was is, like uh, that. Who is the director? Do we know? Uh, Paul Murphy. Do we know what he's done before? Uh, this is his first Doctor Who. I think he's done things like Casualty. I think he was badly okay. directed. I think it's one of those. Oh no, 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 no! no, no, no I no. think I, I was going to say a lot of it really was really good and slick. I could say a Disney movie. Well, I didn't question any of the direction whatsoever. Oh well, they, but I had two things. It was just the pacing and the comedy time. I think there's problems between the script and the direction in that I don't think the script was strong enough in any particular direction to let the director really know what he was going mm. for. So things like a punchline like that is, you know, instead of hitting the punchline, the director's like, you know, it's not realistic to hit the punchline straight away. So we've got to do the bit where they see each other first. But then by putting the bit where they see each other in first, it would have been better if the doctor had opened the doors and Robin had just been standing there in front of him. And he'd have been saying there's no such thing as Robin Hood as he opens the doors. So Robin hears it and then sees him and then says, you're called. Or whatever, yeah. you know? Yeah, to really project that kind of... Because did, he did want to project this cartoon character of Robin Hood. I mean, you know, look at the costume. The costume was incredibly comic-like. And, oh, speaking and... of costumes! <laughs> yeah, I know. It was good, wasn't it? Uh, oh, my God. Anyway, um, yeah. no, you're right there about the timing, coming out of the TARDIS. Mm. Um, you know, you got the cliche of the... Do you know, I, I said to Finn, he's going to come out the TARDIS and there's going to be an arrow fired at him. And he went, no. I went, there is, look, watch. And he came out the TARDIS. I thought, oh, no, it hasn't happened. Oh, yes, it has. Boing, <laughs> Mm. And we just sat there going, no. I don't mind obvious. But it was a nice as, thing where he yeah. pulled it out the TARDIS and the, and the whole scene. That, that yeah. was beautiful. Yeah. That was a really nice touch. And it was nice that he rubbed it as well. Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what you do, isn't it? Even if it disappears by itself, it's still just an instinct to rub it. <laughs> I mean, Peter Capaldi's a great actor. And like I say, he's a magnetic screen presence. And little things like that, just mm. instinctual acting. All three episodes he's done has been absolutely jam-packed with little oh, instinctual some, things like some that. Some of his, his facial movements. There was a, a, a time in, in Inside the Dalek where um, uh, the uncle with the beard, the gun, can't remember his name, says something that basically makes him stop and he just does a little look. Mm. And it's just beautiful. I mm. can play that over and over again. It was just so brilliant, that piece of acting. Yeah, instinctive acting, yeah. It just shows you that he's... Oh, okay. Did well, you also um, notice, instinctively speaking, that he birded Robin? He birded Robin. Oh, uh, the bit where he pulls the glove on. Oh my on, God. That... And he pulls his fingers down <laughs> and he just leaves the middle one up yeah. for a fraction of a second longer than the other. That's... And it's quite deliberate. That's, that's going to be a meme. That's going to be a meme. I have oh, yeah. to say that 
Um, there's a lady who works at the nursery where my daughter goes, and she she loves her modern Doctor Who. She's not a huge fan or anything like that, but she misses Matt Smith and she misses David Tennant because of the eye candy thing. So she's <laughs> she's enjoying this new series, but she's not enjoying it. But I will say that for physical presence, Capaldi really pulled it off for that fight scene. Hmm. I thought he was brilliant. I what, thought he the, really did have physical the spoon and the sword. Yeah, as much as. Yeah, so you, you like the you spoon didn't like fight. That, did I you? don't like the spoon fight. That I is love just the spoon overly fight. silly. But, okay. that, but that's my personal thing. In the red corner, don't think it's wrong. Simon Brett. Just... I tell you what the spoon fight is. That is the spoon kind of man. Sorry, I can't. Know. It's the kind of thing you'd put into a cartoon strip or a short story yeah. or something like that. Ooh. And the person reading it is thinking to themselves as they're reading it. They couldn't do that on the telly because no. there's no way you could direct that. And Probably the only person realistic. to get away with it is Jackie Chan. No, but the thing is, they did make yeah. it realistic. I thought it was great. Yeah. I it think was they pulled it very off. well choreographed. Yeah. It? I think and he it... put something in the script that must have looked absolutely impossible on paper. And the director and the actors completely pulled it off. It was a big spoon. It was a giant pudding spoon. He did look like Mr. Bean when he was looking at it in the TARDIS. And the say. thing is, I didn't get... Did he actually have something to eat as he was walking around? Or did he just produce a spoon? There was, no, there was something on the end of the spoon and he licked he it just off. Because it, it yeah. felt very forced. And I thought, this is the... I don't know, there was like the last bit of ice cream at the top of the spoon that he licked off before. <laughs> in fact, if you look <laughs> I, at it, I mean, when he puts it in his pocket, when he licks it, there's know, something left on got... there. <laughs> and then he puts it in his pocket. Yeah. And fortunately, it's gone. Otherwise, there's a glob of ice cream <laughs> melting Which would have been better. He does have a globule of ice cream in his pocket, though. I just thought it was odd. If he'd, have, pulled, if he'd have pulled that spoon out, right, and it had that bit of ice cream in it, he could just flick into Robin's eye. It'd have know, been over. Do you know what my favourite bit, and this is in that scene, in the entire episode was? And this is one of those, and we talked last week about, you know, when you're expecting something and does it pay off? Does it exceed your expectations or does it disappoint you? And when you know something's going to happen, it's the same thing. You've got the anticipation and you don't know whether it's going to get killed or whether you're going to be pleasantly surprised. And when he says to her, anywhere in time and space, where do you want to go? And she says, there's somebody I'd want to meet. But, you know, and she does this whole thing, but you'll say he's not real. And she says, and he says, well, who is it then? And she sort of pauses. And then the expression on her face when she says Robin Hood is just brilliant. She looks like a three-year-old getting really excited. She does play it really well. It's brilliant. That works, that works excellently. Everything about Clara in this new series, there's a lot of naysayers out there. I think she's not anymore. Brilliant. Everybody's coming around now. I think she's right. The one problem I have with her, what the hell are those eyebrows about? Next hmm? time you watch Robert Sherwood, watch her eyebrows. Keep saying Robert. I know. Because he said it at the start by accident, and now it's become a running joke. Okay, right. Well, since you find it not funny, I'm definitely going to say it for the rest of the podcast. Oh, I do find it quite funny. (laughs) You don't have to laugh out loud. (laughs) Hold it in. Hold it in, Simon. (laughs) I'm going to preempt the Diddly Dumb review now. I think their review is going to be called Bobbins of Sherwood, (laughs) in honour of Doc Hume's favourite word. Mm. So there you go. Yeah, but eyebrows. Look at they're very, very annoying. Badly make up. Really? Much. I like her eyebrows. Yeah, but go and look at them in this one because they could paint it on. It's like they've been shaved. Oh, that's the, on. that's the trend, isn't it? Yeah, but it doesn't suit her. Isn't that what young children, oh, young girls do these days? days? It is. The, the Charlie Chaplin eyebrows. It is. Oh, okay. All right, let's get off the subject <laughs> of eyebrows, crying out loud. <laughs> uh, did, did either of you not enjoy the episode? No, I, thought I, I loved it. it. I loved it. 
Yeah. <laughs> um, I was a little bit annoyed in places. It did annoy me, but I generally walked away from that thing, and that was great fun, actually. Hmm. It was a bit of a laugh. I've but there were so many problems with it, I can't really sit down and go, oh, that was like a 10 out of 10. Do you know what it made me think of? And I'll come back to this. Something made me think of the Spaceman and King Arthur. Yeah. Yeah. Well, same idea, same. isn't it? Yeah, yeah. A sort of mythical hero from English folklore mm. meets somebody from the future. Mm. Mm. Yeah. That's, it, it was the time warrior meets Spaceman and King Arthur, mm. basically. I thought, the first time I watched it, I was a bit nonplussed. Because, like Lee says, there were lots of things going on where you're just thinking, that needed tweaking. That needed tweaking. Yeah, that's terrible, isn't it? Yeah, but <laughs> but I but I also could tell that on a sec because the thing about a first viewing is you're looking at every little thing, and the second time, all the things that need tweaking. Because with the first time you watch it, you're watching it with expectation, and so all the things that you think need tweaking, you're kind of anticipating what needs tweaking. Whereas the second time, you know they've not tweaked them, so they don't bother you anymore. Mm -hmm. So the second time I watched it, I thought it was a lot better than I did the first time. I've only watched it once, and I, <clears throat> I, yeah, I want to sit down and watch my five-year-old. It's definitely at the upper end rather than the lower end of Mark yeah. Gatiss's canon. Uh, it's not quite got the same guilt issues, but it's kind of like watching a like a Michael Bay movie or something like that, and then coming out and thinking, actually, I quite enjoyed that. Well, like with me, you know, there's so Thomas. much wrong with it, but I really oh, quite enjoyed it. Bad Boys is a great film. I wouldn't say he's too. never made a bad film, but he's getting a reputation. Isn't he? Michael well, Bay, he's yeah. on the Transformers movies now. Mm. Ugh, that last he... one was good. I enjoyed that. Was it? I've only seen the first. I was going to say I've only seen the first two. I enjoyed the first one. <laughs> right. Because the first half of it is all build-up, and then the Transformers are only in the second half, and I like things of that ilk with a long build-up, and I enjoyed the build-up. Mm. But the second one, I put it on, and it's just non-stop action from the start, and you just it gets to the point where there's just so much chrome yeah. flying around the screen, you can't tell what's going on. No, no this one's got it. a bit of a build-up, this new one. But it's the CGI is so clean that you can see everything properly, mm. so it doesn't completely do your eyeballs in. Is it dinosaur one? Yeah, um, unfortunately, that well, if you know your Transformers, that realization isn't particularly brilliant, but it's okay. I, I enjoyed it. I enjoyed it for all it was, just mind numbing. Silly Nothing fun. wrong with mind numbing fun. No, no. And really, Jr. <laughs> oh, absolutely. No, I, when I think about things, I think about things on their own merit, and I. I gotta admit, I do have a guilty secret. No, not a guilty secret. <laughs> a, a sort of guilty taste for Michael Bay movies. I thought Bad Boys was brilliant. Bad Boys too. It just goes on too long. Bad Boys is like an hour and a half. Bad Boy two, two and a half hours. Too long. And it's like, yeah, you yeah, don't need yeah. two and a half hours of mm. buddy action flick. <clears throat> it's like Bad Boys two is like Terminator two. <clears throat> Terminator is perfect. Hour and forty minutes or whatever it is tells a simple story in a simple fashion. Gets on with it. Does the business. Terminator Two. Apart from my issues with it, that it's the Disney Terminator. Mm. It's everything safe and clean, and there's a kid as the hero, and all of a sudden <laughs> the rating goes from eighteen to PG thirteen or whatever. Mm. But oh, my yeah. other issue with that is when he gets to the final chase scene in Terminator Two, you're an hour and a half into the two and a half hour movie. 
The final chase scene lasts for 60 minutes. Who needs 60 minutes of watching one robot chasing another watching Stuntman with a rubber mask on. Yeah. Yeah. Shout out, it's brilliant. <laughs> no, I'm sorry. I love it. I wish it was Finn too. the other night for the first time. T2. T2. Yeah. And he loved it. And there were there were parts in it which actually, when we said a Disney thing, I was thinking, yeah, I remember seeing it thinking, oh, I was a kid in it. Arnie's good. What's going on? But actually, we were watching it and there's the moment where T2 stabs the guy against the fridge, uh, the kind of needle point right through well, yeah. the middle of the head. I'm not All saying these it's totally Disney. And, and the kind of... Um, the Sarah Connor, she's great actress in that actually, and trying to escape the mental hospital. All that part of it's brilliant. Um, and he was, you know, biting his nails all the way through it. And I thought, yeah, actually, it's it's a it's a worthy follow up for sure. Rise it's of the gone. Machines, though. Yeah. Oh no, I much prefer Rise of the Machines. Oh, <laughs> much oh, prefer it. Stop it. It's darker. It's more personal. There are more consequences. <sighs> it's uh, and it's less cartoony. That's the thing about Terminator 2. It's a really cartoon. He's walking film. out in a cemetery with a coffin and he's just. Oh no. Yeah, but Terminator that's, that's 2 is like. Oh, the kid on the motorbike being chased by the robot on the motorbike and all this kind of stuff. And Have then... you never been a kid on a motorbike being chased by a robot on a motorbike? Funny enough, yes. <laughs> Are we talking about Robert of Sherwood? <laughs> Yeah. Is there, what else was in the episode that we've not talked about that we need to? How about do the, we... the main evil villain with the beard? Oh, of course, oh, he was great, you, wasn't he? Or the he master, as we like to call him. Well, everybody's saying how much he looked like Anthony Ainley, but obviously all I could see was beard. Ben Miller. Yeah, yeah. I didn't see him. I didn't see, I didn't even know he was in the episode, because no, I'm spoiler-free, so I didn't know. Until Finn said, that's the guy from uh, um, Prime Evil. I went, oh my God, it's Ben Miller. Mm. <laughs> Um, have you ever seen him in that? Is it good, sort actually. of like some Mediterranean set detective yeah, drama or yeah. something? He's not convincing when he's playing straight. But the thing about this was, he wasn't playing straight. He was playing relatively straight, but there was that edge of. He didn't ham it up, though. He I didn't. No, but that's the point. Yeah. He's playing a hammy part, but not hamming it up, no. which means he can get away with not being convincing straight mm. because that offsets the fact that he's not hamming it up and he finds a nice point somewhere in between and actually i thought he found a really nice point somewhere in between so he wasn't dead straight but he wasn't hamming it up like you say i thought he's really good i enjoyed enjoyed him being the enemy it's the first time i've seen him in anything that i've actually liked him where he's been acting because i thought he was dreadful at prime evil Really? Yeah, but then everybody was dressed. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah, that's like. <laughs> well, yeah, no, that, that's fair. That's, that's, like that's, that's probably my Burger. Michael Bay. I really enjoyed Plot and Evil. But, uh, yeah. I liked it for the dinosaurs, <laughs> but unfortunately, everything else was pretty horrible. It was fun. See, it was I... just a lot of fun. It was Saturday tea time my TV fun. It was, but I just oh, didn't find it better fun. Better than Robin Hood. I just found it really tedious, hard work. I think if and, you don't and, like the acting and you don't like the actors and you don't like the characters, oh you've got to really work hard to like yeah. the stories. I, it's just the way that particular TV station operates of creating derivative programs in order to say, oh, that one's doing really well. Let's do one of these. And that was my whole, I couldn't get that in my head the whole yeah. way through that, really? that series that it had been invented because, oh, it look, was, Dodgers doing really well bugs. again. Bugs and, it, and, it was, and it was so obvious as well. It yeah. wasn't like, oh, we're doing a series about dinosaurs, so let's just bring the dinosaurs on. It was like, okay, this week we're going to have 
this type of dinosaur and then next week giant insects and then the week after that yeah. something else and then there's a portal so all of a sudden Stargate. they go through the portal <laughs> yeah yeah but it's like the, the portal is like the tardis takes mm. you to different places mm. and the fact that there's a single dinosaur each week or a single type of it's the monster of the week just like in doctor who it is, but as you go through the seasons, you do get a, an inkling of a of a plot between the wife and the husband, and you don't know whether to trust the wife. She's oh, really good. Five years, you get an inkling <laughs> of a plot. And you, get, you get creatures from the future, which are really well designed. They're brilliant little bits of uh, nastiness. After I found it, it got better. That first season was not very good, but second and third, very good. And then the rest, not so good. No, fourth and fifth, not good. Not so good. I bought the third oh, series right. on DVD because I did catch half an episode and I thought, oh, this is much improved over the first one. Uh, I've never got around to watching it. <clears throat> and I'm at the point now where I think, oh, if I want to watch the third series, I'm going to have to watch the first two again to get to it so I can work out what's You really going don't on. need to, seriously. Do <laughs> um, Robert is Sherwood, right, with, uh, with Ben playing the old baddie there. Now... I didn't realise, I, I, if I missed some dialogue, maybe you can fill me in, but throughout the episode, I didn't realise that he was the robot or a robot at any point. Ben Miller? Yeah. Does he mention uh, it? Okay. And I'm not talking about the cut scene, which we're about to come to, but I'm talking about actually within the episode. Is there a moment when he actually says... No. There isn't, is there? No. So with that cut scene that we're about to talk about... The elephant to, in the room. Come, yeah. We say for With, the end of the. Uh, it was cut for obviously political reasons, which we'll, we'll get come to. to that, yeah. So the only clue was the hand. The at only the end. clue was him, his head, chatting away after it gets cut off. Um, that he is obviously not human, and that is actually really quite important to the episode. Well, I think, isn't it? Well, there's two things about that. There are three things about that. I'll get rid of the quickest one first. The third thing about that is the only time when he does mention anything on screen about not being human, it's immediately after the cut bit, and it relates to the cut bit, and I don't know why they didn't cut that line too, because it was just one extra line, and if they'd got rid of that extra line, all reference to him being a robot would have been gone. Okay, this is my big bugbear about the title. <clears throat> robot of Sherwood, as opposed to Robots of Sherwood. Robot, singular, means that you're going to spend the entire episode, even if you're not, <clears throat> even if you're not consciously looking for it, you're going to spend the entire episode with the subconscious thought in mind that it's robot singular. So when the Doctor goes with Robin and starts investigating whether he and the Merry Men are you know, holograms or in a miniscope or whatever, he's standing in the middle of six people. Mm. So already that's not singular. So he's not looking for a singular robot at that point. So <clears throat> that's a red herring for the sheriff. The sheriff is the robot singular. But by the time you get to the sheriff, you've already had all the other robots. So by this point, you're no longer looking for a robot singular because you've already had robots, plural, and that subconscious mm. thing you had in your head of looking for the robot singular is gone. Mm. Absolutely. So the totally robot agree. singular is wiped out on both the occasions it could have been any use. So why not just call it robots? Because then that first scene where he's trying to work out whether Robin Hood and his merry men are all robots, if it was robots, plural, why? that would have still worked. Because it's a shit joke. 
It is. <laughs> Instead of Robin, it's Robot. I think it's as simple as that. I don't think he looked. Oh, absolutely. Oh, totally agree. It is yeah, and I the agree. The worst with... title of an episode ever. I totally I agree with JR on the fact they should be called Robots of Sherwood. It's a much cooler title. Yeah. And also, you already yeah. get oh, robots are sure there's going to be robots in it. Really? Well, well, and when you, when you have that first scene, if it's robots with the Merry Men, it fits. And you could say, oh, this could be the bit where he finds out who the robots of Sherwood are. Mm. And then when you find out that there's all these robots, then the red herring is still in place. Because if the episode had gone out as it was originally intended to, that robot singular refers to the sheriff, right? So by the time... If it was called robots, plural, by the time the sheriff reveal comes, it's a surprise because you're not looking for a singular no, robot. No, absolutely. Whereas if it's still exactly. singular, you know, the surprise is kind of spoiled, even though by yeah. that time you don't care anymore. <clears throat> but the fact is that they've cut the scene, which is the main part that really reveals who the robot is. That title is now a complete wasted. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Do you think yeah. or not? Well, the thing about... Let's talk about the Simon's political ready. things about that scene <laughs> afterwards. Okay. But that scene, I think the episode works much better without it. So do I. I think I by making the Sheriff of Nottingham a robot... And, OK, let's talk about the content of that scene. His head gets lopped off and he puts it back on because he's been turned into a part robot. No, I'm sorry. But if he's been not turned a full into a robot. Yeah. If you've been turned into a part robot and your head gets chopped off, you stay dead. Yeah. Plus, we've seen one of the other robots' head comes off, yeah. and that robot dies. Yeah. So how come the sheriff doesn't die when his head comes off, when he's only part robot? Yeah. None of that makes sense. But the point I was making is... <laughs> it could be really pedantic. He's a cyborg, not a robot. Yeah. Anyway, yes. But if the sheriff... <laughs> but if true, the sheriff, But if the sheriff is a robot working under the control of all the other robots, then all of his actions in the um, episode are because he's a robot which is, you couldn't get more black and white than that. Mm. It's boring. If the sheriff is a human, and thinking back to things like Vichy in France here, with the Quislings, if he's a human who's working for the robots against the other humans, they're the Daleks, great example. Mm. Mm. Yeah. If he's a human who's working for the robots against the other humans, then all of a sudden that character becomes a really interesting character. Yeah, no, absolutely. So, yeah. which actually he kind of inadvertently becomes more interesting because that scene's now cut. Yes, exactly. And we don't know that he's a robot at any point throughout and the so episode. So why didn't they just cut that <laughs> one extra line from the end of that scene? Yeah, I mean, and just put an S on robots. Dong. Yeah, I mean, it's probably too late to change the title because those yeah. things are not as easy as it sounds. I wonder what Mark Gatiss actually thought of all that palaver. Well, it'd be interesting. Are we going to talk? I mean, you guys just agree with me. Anything else to add to that? Or? Uh, not really. No. What about the actual head lopping thing? I, I, Why? Yeah. Well, no, no. Well. We'll talk about the sort of. Okay. There is a there is a line. Yeah. There's a line about the fact that the thing landed on him or something, and then, and then they repaired it. That sounds like something else, doesn't it? I'm trying to think what that sounds like. It sounds like another story. There was so much in it that it sounded like bits of other. I do wonder if Mark Gatiss watched Made Marion and His Merry Men, because <laughs> there was the, the cartoony aspect to that. Those. Yeah those people was quite marked and even the joke with little john well that that was all done in made Marion and merry man wasn't know, it i know these this is what little i mean john was a mystery, it's full of cliches there's lots of things in there that you've seen many times before the only really original thing was fighting with a spoon which and we I know full funny. well that mark gatis is a an experienced and good comedy writer so i don't yeah. quite understand why it was so derivative all the time. because he's a know. 
person who writes pastiche. Mm. If you look at his body of work, he really struggles with original stuff, and it's everything he does is, you know, all sourced from elsewhere. And I was saying this when we talked about it before, wasn't mm. I? Even mm. Sherlock is... Sherlock's not original. It's a spin on it, to mm. put it in the modern day. But, you know, there have been other things that have done that spin So before. actually, yeah, he did a Sherlock on Robin Hood, didn't he? As we say, he looked at the Robin Hood story and then almost went down the line with it. What happens then? What happens then? What happens then? Mm. And then how can I twist that and weave the Doctor into it? Almost like the Doctor is experiencing the Robin Hood story. See, the difference between yeah. this and the Crimson Horror that made the Crimson Horror so much more fun is with this, he had an established story there were parameters set, and he had to do his thing within those parameters. Whereas with the Crimson Horror, he was just able to take everything he loved about that kind of fiction mm. and build his own parameters around the things he loved, mm. rather than trying to fit the things he loved into the parameters mm. that were already set. Mm. So Crimson Horror is Mark Gage's Unbound, and this is Mark Gage's Restricted. Mm. be quite interesting to see whether any of us could rewrite the Robin Hood story and incorporated <clears throat> Doctor Who, and whether it would be any better or worse, to be honest. Trouble, well, I, I wouldn't be interested. It would my be the Robin most Hood. pointless of pointless things to do. My favourite version of Robin Hood is the Disney one. The animated one? Yeah. I started, write, I started writing I a Peter Cushion story for the fanual that came out um, a, a year or two back, and I didn't get around to finishing it. It was a strip, a cartoon strip. And it actually had, it didn't have Robin Hood in it, but it might have ended up having it in there because it was set in medieval times with robots. <laughs> my first you, you read the first parts didn't you mm. um, which I thought you know was perfect for that kind of like you say TV 21 type type thing oh did but, you know it was Patrick yeah. Trown yes yeah that yeah. was nice that was that was good and I like the height as well yeah, oh, yeah. it was, was kind of odd job. though it was a bit <clears throat> yeah it was like height mm. it was like yeah okay that's in there for the fans like the mention of the miniscope yeah yeah it was a bit like yeah, but you know, good design. On the, it's on the a little, robots, a little, little the um, folly, isn't it? And, and a lot of fun. The, the, the oh. design of the robots and the fact that you get the little cross on your head was a nice touch before you get obliterated. I liked all that. Yes, but, and a nice mystery about the promised land. How do they know about it? What's going on? And so far, we've seen robots in the first three episodes. Second one, Dalek. Robot Dalek. Yeah. Okay. That's. You're pushing it. I'm not really. It's a cyborg, isn't it, of sorts? <laughs> well, I think Sheriff of Nottingham being a cyborg is pushing it as far as a robot as well. But they just seem to be all robotic-ish so far. We haven't had any fleshy. Well, I don't know what's coming up next week. That's not S- going to be slithing. a continuing theme. <laughs> no, I know, but it just seems odd. It's not the return of free management, is it? Well, what? next week. Robotic. Oh, come on. You right there. That um, was harsh. She wasn't that bad. She wasn't that bad. Oh, you mean wooden? Yes, wooden. That's a better word. Oh, I didn't say that. Well, that's what you were implying, <laughs> which is why I couldn't work Even out the what the hell you were saying. Can't fix this one. Yes. There was something else I was going to bring up then, and it's gone. Never mind. Um, Have you managed to re- remember the uh, word you wanted to use to describe this no. episode? Instead no. of romp. Not rip no. brewer. No. No. Two words. Well, it's too late now anyway. It's for the introduction. Oh, okay. Okay, <laughs> we've got two more things to do. Three more things to do. We've got emails. We've got to score the episode because we're scoring things now. Oh, score into the Dalek. 
Because we've already oh, okay. scored it. Um, we? Did we score it? I, I think, think we did. We did. Yeah. Gosh, I give it a nine. We both gave it a nine. Didn't Do you know? What? I'll, okay. give, I'll give you two because the first time I watched, it, I was four out of ten. That's how low it was. The first, yeah, really, it's pretty low. Don't forget, you've got to use integers here because I know how you like fractions. It's got to be an integer. <laughs> and for the second watch, I would probably say it was an eight, and that's on the performances more than anything else. Okay. So, for what it's worth, says Ian Martin, I thought Robot of Sherwood was Gatiss's finest hour since The Unquiet Dead. This was a terrific, fun romp of a tale, and on the third outing, Capaldi was brilliant. His performance comes alive in a comedy episode, and this was the best episode for me since Series 6. It's fair to say I wasn't expecting too much, so it's nice to be proven utterly wrong. I do fear that Capaldi's Doctor is only going to soar when he's allowed to be Tucker Light. But having such a grumpy sod in the TARDIS does work after all. In hindsight, it's baffling that they never did a Robin Hood story before. It was quintessential Saturday tea time viewing squared. <laughs> but then I'm still in Dubai, so my opinion still doesn't count. He's just showing off. <laughs> <laughs> that was a swift hit. <clears throat> yeah, we've been watching Robin Hood. <laughs> Oh, okay. Before Into there's another rabbit. email here, Sean M. Vale. But before I go to the other email, there's one thing that lots of people have been quibbling about. There's not enough gold in the circuit they make to for the spaceship to quite take off, so they shoot the arrow up at it, and it hits oh. the spaceship on the outside, and that pushes it. Well, obviously, that's just completely illogical, isn't it? It's a logic. Well, it's a spaceship, <laughs> so it's reasonably illogical. With um, in setting children force with robots that look like knights, so it's very illogical. But you're right. If you're going to sit with some kind of logic in your story, like the circuit board, if the logic, gold needs to be in the circuit board, just hit the circuit board. Have yeah. a circuit board on the outside, or, or just or just do a Star Wars and have the arrow going through a little, a little hole. porthole on yeah. the outside. Yeah, and yeah. you just leave it to the viewer's imagination. Oh, and it's found the circuit board because yeah. the doctor has already foreshadowed the fact that he's used a homing device on the exactly. arrow before. That's what I thought was going to happen. Yeah. But having said that, the ideal against Cybermen, wouldn't it? So uh, you're knocking, you're knocking things. Okay. Having said that, um, that the point of that scene is to see the doctor and Robin and Clara all working together to shoot the arrow. Hmm. And that's the important thing about that scene. So if you're not prepared to just suspend your disbelief that yeah, little yeah. bit further... You know what would be funny is that if they walked into the TARDIS house and she'd have gone, see, it was a good shot, wasn't it? And all this sort of business. And you go, yeah, but I stuck a homing device on the end of it. Yeah, <laughs> no, that would have worked. That's what I would have thrown in. Golden carrot, like in Curse of the Were-Rabbit, that would have been better as well. <laughs> that's a great <laughs> one. I but, but, you know, golden arrows against Cybermen... Is there I, a link? No, probably I've, not. Because they've, they've, they've forgotten the golden, the gold thing now with the Cybermen. Yeah, I did think about Cybermen. I thought, oh, Cybermen might turn up. Yeah, but if anybody was to bring it back, Stephen Moffat could be the guy who did. Mm. Who knows? Yeah. I the thing about Stephen Moffat is, you know, this has been said so many times before. Hates writing for things like Daleks and Cybermen because they don't quip, right? Mm. But also Stephen Moffat, who does this Tim Burton thing with Doctor Who, right? If anybody could redo the Cybermen to be something completely different from what they have been before. A bit like, and you know, this is just the tiniest example of how he could do it on a much larger scale, the wooden Cyberman in Time of the Doctor. Yeah. Wasn't that just like a brilliant little spin on the Cyberman? That was a very clever idea. I yeah. loved it. That was great. That was fantastic. 
Now imagine doing something, not that, but something of that ilk with the entire cyber race. Mm. Doing a because we've seen the origin story of the alternative universe Cybermen. But we've not seen like a gold Cyberman, he just kills over. Kills who? Kills over. (laughs) Oh, because he's made of gold. (laughs) Shouldn't that be a golf Cyberman if he kills overs? Sean Envale says, Wow. Robin no robot no Robert of Sherwood was amazing. I've never been a big fan of Robin Hood and I was not looking forward to this one particularly, but Peter Capaldi continues to amaze me. Such great everything. The scene with him and Robin in the dungeon was spectacular. Just one of the great bits in the episode. Clara continues to be a fantastic companion. She is bloody wonderful. She She is. is. So much better with Peter than with Matt. I think so as well, actually. We'll come back to that at the end of the email because I think it's worth spending a couple of minutes on. Uh, Sean carries on a stellar episode. I I do wonder if between Deep Breath and this one, we're not seeing the Cybermen evolving through millions of years of Earth's history. (laughs) I can't imagine how they would have arrived on Earth millions of years ago, but maybe they did somehow. Anyway. Pardon? Adric. (laughs) Oh, hence the gold. The badge. Ah. It all fits together. And you do know how Stephen Moffat likes to resurrect dead companions. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. And he did have a dinosaur that came forward through time in his first episode. I retract my free management uh, (laughs) comment. I should have reserved it for someone else. This is is fan wankery of the wankiest (laughs) order. Sean carries on. Anyway, a wonderful story, well acted and well directed. Convenient how the Cybermen, oops, sorry, the robots, always manage to aim their death rays directly at the shiny things our heroes were holding. Oh, yeah. Oh, come on, Sean, it's a television programme. Yeah, good point, actually. That, was, that again, was straight out of um, children's TV from the early 80s, wasn't it? What was that, what was that from? There's all kinds of programmes that had people holding up. I think that was actually a tray being held up against yeah. a laser beam and something. Bill and Ben. Muffin <laughs> the Mule? Bill Flumps. Bill and Ted, I was going to Spaceman and King Arthur, wasn't it? I'm sure it was. I've seen it Because I was going to say, with the, the beheading thing, with the, vo- the the head talking, that was Spaceman and King Arthur as well, wasn't uh, it? Yeah, this is it, you see. I thought it's it stuff full of cliches. Which was, weirdly, I, did, I had no idea. The Spaceman and King Arthur was called something completely different in America. And I'm going to look it up now on my phone. You do uh, that. Oh, so do for God's sake, Simon. Oh, yeah, but it's such much. a ridiculously bad name. You're going to, you're going to love it. Because it is a terrible that. name. And if it flopped in America, that's why. But I'll tell you. What's the bad name? I'll tell you in a minute. No, of what? Spaceman and King Arthur. It was only called Spaceman and King Arthur in the UK. Oh, you mean it had a different title in America? Yeah. Okay, that's interesting. Clara, better with Peter Capaldi? She is a better... A character and she's acting it better in this series with Capaldi it works because they uh, have got this friction against them she's a crosser kind of Clara and I think she's just better at the job now so it works well with Capaldi whereas if she'd been a bit more kind of uh, a bit more kind of cross and dense and you know in her acting and her character with Matt it would have, I don't know, wouldn't have felt quite so right. So she's acting differently. In the I series. disagree, but I'll come back okay. to it because Simon's found out the name that the Spaceman and King Arthur <laughs> You're had joking. in America. It and was it is called the Unidentified, unidentified Flying, flying Oddball. oddball. What? <laughs> <laughs> Look at the car. 
cast. Look at the cast. You Dennis Duggan. Me. Yeah, okay. All right. <coughs> Jim Dale. Jim Dale yeah, Jim would Dale, have been yeah. a brilliant, brilliant doctor. He would. Yeah. Kenneth Moore, amazing actor, and Ron Moody. Wow. How great was oh, Ron, speaking Ron of Ron cast, Moody. Um, Friar Tug. Did you notice who that was? No. Yes. Uh, but I can't remember the actor's name. Oh, God. Now you've made me. It was the guy from Revelation of the Daleks. Yes. You know the two, oh, was it? Yeah, the two guys yeah. who were the sort of orderlies or whatever. Yeah, one yeah, of those. I the one. Um, mm. Yeah, uh, stunt casting. But all the merry men were pretty much wasted, weren't they? Yeah. Again, yeah. Mm. I thought the bard was quite fun. I suppose. <coughs> so waiting for the I next. Suppose, uh... I suppose with forty-five minutes, it's difficult to find them all apart. But in the preamble to this, Mark Gatiss had said, you know, I struggled to find them all something to do, but I made sure at least that they each of them had one thing to do. And I didn't realise that when he said at least they each had one thing to do, he meant a line to say. Because that's all that some of them did, isn't it? Yeah, again, that was a wasted opportunity to bring I them say. into the castle yeah. to do something in their own, with their own skill with each robot in order to defeat it. There's all kinds of things you could have done with those actors in that um, episode and they just didn't do it. Actually each of those knights could have had a different weapon as well and kind of used it in a robot-y Ooh. way like a spinning mace a, or something. A robot-y way, yeah. I, I think you get spinning maces robot-y. in a children's programme on a Saturday <laughs> evening. Spinning well, mace. Cut, cutting heads off and stuff. Back to the subject of Clara and people on this podcast have heard me say this before but for the benefit of Lee I don't think she's changed. Uh, obviously it's another season and obviously the actress has grown and obviously they took a year out when they did the specials so things have changed to a degree but I don't think she's changed in any deliberate way I think she's always been like that I think in her first eight episodes the mystery surrounding the character distracted people's Mm -hmm. attention Mm -hmm. from the character and I think it's difficult to see the character through the mystery even though the mystery wasn't anything actually to do with the character I think she's always been like this I think it's just that under Matt, because Matt was manic, somebody who is, say somebody who is mm-hmm. um, performing at a level of 50%. And I don't mean 50% good. I mean 50% in your face, whatever. Energy. If somebody else is performing at 75%, that 50% is going to seem like a reduced amount. But if Peter Capaldi then comes in and underplays it, all of a sudden she's playing beyond him. So it's almost like she's come out of her shell, not because she's changed what she's doing, but because what's happening around her has changed. There is kind of Matt Smith's doctor was kind of an enigma. So she was always there, just a companion. But now there's kind of that. Not not in the same way as Leela and the Doctor, but you've got that kind of Pygmalion thing of the Professor and the girl, haven't you? You've got that nice older, uh, younger girl, older Doctor kind of relationships starting to kind of bed, bed down. And if she does leave at Christmas, like the rumours are saying, I think it will almost be too soon as far as... I... No, I mean, I, I if Clara had a left at the last... in the last episode... Uh, before yeah, uh, time of the doctor. Um, then it it would have worked. It would have been fine. Peter Capaldi could have found somebody. And actually, this whole series feels so different and so uh, strange in its tone. And we're still trying to get to grips with it. And it's completely different. He's a different doctor, completely and utterly. Then a new 
companion, I think, would have just worked. He could have brought somebody from Victorian London. He could have brought somebody from inside the Dalek. The soldier could have come along. Whatever, you know, it would have worked. And if we would have seen the Doctor again from a new companion's perspective, it would have worked. Clara has, to me, she has changed a little. I mean, we we didn't get to see her shouting at people like she did at the, with the kids in the classroom in a, in a scene in the first episode in, in her mind. And um, we haven't seen her kind of getting annoyed and slapping the Doctor and getting annoyed in that kind of way. I don't think we she have, She slaps we? him in Series 7B. Does she? What I does think, she? doesn't she? Sure she does, yeah. She slaps Matt Smith. Yeah. Does she? It's a good scene, though, with Peter Capaldi. That was yeah. really funny. It's like um, people said, <clears throat> oh, was it, which episode was She's it? She's great. Clara <laughs> solves it. Oh, in Into the Dalek, one of the things that people yeah. said was, why does the Doctor send her off to do some solving at the end of the episode? Clara doesn't do solving. And I'm thinking, yeah, only if you've not seen <clears throat> the day of the Doctor, or you haven't seen the time of the Doctor, or you haven't seen the name of the Doctor, or you haven't seen the Rings of Agaten, <coughs> all stories in yeah. which she does solve things. Yeah, I mean, <coughs> Rose solved pretty much everything Christopher Eccles never did. Yeah, this is... It doesn't matter. It's not. A, I don't think it doesn't. It doesn't matter that much. The Doctor should solve things and sort stuff out, and that was one of my slight gripes with the, in, Into the Dalek, is that, you know, he solves the Dalek's problem by sealing up, and then kind of looks wide-eyed and a bit kind of stupid when it's like turns back into a bad dalek again like <laughs> obviously you know, yeah oh dear what have i done well what do you think you've done you just fixed about a, a dalek who's gonna start killing people again so that was a bit kind of like Ugh. and she's got to come up with it look you know i'm the one who she's the one who comes up with the answer which is okay but if, if just again the pacing was off on yeah, it but i think nice things right. about that i think the fact that when she slaps him, it's because he's saying, what have we learned today? There are no good Daleks. And, she, you know, all Daleks yeah. are bad. And she says, no, the thing we've learned is not that all Daleks are bad, but that you can have a good Dalek. Yeah, that's good. That scene is good when they finally get to it. It's yeah. just there's a whole 40 seconds, minute or whatever, where we know what <clears> she's <throat> going to say and we're wondering why the Doctor's so thick and hasn't got it. But then Matt Smith's Doctor did that a lot. Yeah, but he could get away with it. It was a, yeah, maybe. Maybe Howdy looks too intelligent to be looking a bit stupid. It's the same bloke. Yeah, it's the same character. (laughs) Trevor Cooper was the guy's name. Yeah, of course. The other thing about that is people have complained about us slapping him. What? Why? Because you shouldn't set a bad example to kids if one character slaps him. Oh, he gets slapped all the time. The mothers slap him. But it's a... It, yeah, that's happened a hard. lot in the past. But also, on the, in this instance, it's a snap out of it slap as well. Yeah. It's not a domestic violence slap. It's a slap out of it. Yeah. And get yourself together slap. Oh, God, yeah. Which is We don't want to go down the yeah. route of everybody complaining about every tiny thing that happens to Doctor yeah, Otherwise, no one would be shooting anybody, yeah. you know, aliens and stuff. But talking about the political stuff, mm. we should get to the elephant in the room. Was it right to take that scene out, regardless of its effect on the story? Was it because... right in what respect? Was it right? Well, one thing I've seen people say are, well, you also see one of the robots' heads come off. It's true, you do. Um, if they wanted to take it out because of they, they're worried about the political thing that's going on, and it's the most terrible thing that's going on in the world at the moment, it's horrible to know about it and see on the front cover the papers and all this sort of stuff. It's an awful thing to happen, and if they're getting a bit twitchy about it and they think oh you know if we put that in right at the height of all this 
people will get upset by it, something will happen. Yeah, I can understand why they cut it, right? I can understand why they've done things like that before with all kinds of other dramas. Wow. So many times to things me, have been taken off altogether it, because it, of things like that. Exactly. Mm. To me, mm. it wouldn't have affected me. I wouldn't have seen that it was going to upset me because, you know, the history of things to do with beheadings, things to do with the medieval times, these things did happen. Also, drama and action have got so many bad things going through them. People getting murdered, killed, drugs, it's whatever. It's programme true it's tr this is true but you know it, to me it wouldn't make any difference i would probably pose that question to the kids or the people that really feel up, more upset about it no because you've got if you're in control of bbc one on a saturday night in prime time you're not thinking about this section of the audience or that section of the audience you've got to think about anybody you yep. might have a remote yep. control in their hand on a saturday night and if somebody is just finished watching um, The Chase and doesn't want to watch The X Factor and they just flick to BBC One at 8 o'clock and, you know, you're just a few minutes... You know, say The X Factor starts and they go off and make a cup of tea, come back into the room. I'm not watching The X Factor. Ten past eight, flick over to BBC One and what do they see? They see, for to all intents and purposes, a human being having his head taken off with a sword. Yeah, but then the in controller a very... of BBC One has to think about that person as well as the three-year-old sitting on Granny's right. knee, as well as the Granny who's got a three-year-old sitting on her knee. Yeah, that's offensive to Grannies as well as it is to, you know, the person with the. Yeah, it's right. I think again, I think it's though. I think it's more it, people will take offence and they they should and quite rightly so that <sighs> it's the, the height of what's happening now in the political world and everybody is aware of what's happening so i do think it was right that they took it out i, I do think that, that that is the case when you look at the actual section which we've all had a look at on the net somewhere um in a way it's quite comedic because he's talking on the floor blah 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 yeah the so it's is... the actual the actual scene mm, itself if mm. you'd have put that on three years ago or three years ahead or whatever it probably it would know, have been it, fine it would have been fine but the, but point, the is, point is it was right now at the height of what's going on well, there's and an actually, english journalist who's next in line to have his head taken exactly. off and when there's been a copycat killing in yeah. london where a 47 year old woman has had her head taken off in her back garden yeah you don't put that on the television and the point don't. is it can be as funny as it likes immediately afterwards with him talking on the floor but at the point his head comes off you just think that's a human being having his head taken off. Yeah. Yep. And half the people watching, if you are of a mind, you know, if you're... And you're talking about an audience of probably, by the time you've done catch-up and everything else, and people who watched it live on iPlayer, which aren't on the overnights or whatever, you're talking about at least six, if not seven, maybe even eight million people. Mm. It, only, it only takes... 1% of 1% of that number for it to be a significant enough number that the BBC mm. would be in trouble for it. Mm. And whether they take it out because they think, oh, we should be responsible, or whether they take it out because they think, oh, we don't want to get in trouble, it doesn't make any difference. Taking it out was the right thing to do. Yeah, it was and right. it was the right thing to do for the story as well, which helped. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Strangely enough, it did. Yeah. yeah. No, <clears throat> I, I do agree with that. <clears throat> I, the, the thing I found fascinating about it is. You've got two camps who say it's people who say it's an ethical issue, people who say it's a censorship issue, and I don't think it's, I don't think I, it's either. I don't think it's, it's relevant. It's not a censorship issue. 
I don't think it's an issue. It's, it's just issue. something that yeah. a broadcaster does under circumstances like that. Okay, let's look at an analogy or, or another example. Say somebody had recently lost a relative in a freak car accident. The last thing you do is show them pictures which might remind them of that accident. You just wouldn't do it. You don't sit them down to watch Crash. No. Do you know what I mean? Yes, yeah, simple as that. And... And it's a nation that's holding its breath at the moment for certain people. Absolutely. And it, you know, it makes perfect sense to take it out. And there's a huge difference as well. This is something else that came up. There's a huge difference. People say, oh, but people die of cancer all the time. Should you never show cancer on the telly? I oh, know. There's a huge difference between dealing with something in a sensitive fashion in a programme, like a soap. Because whatever you think of the soaps, the soaps are set up to deal with issues like that mm. in a relatively sensitive fashion. And programmes like Casualty do the same. For all that casualties got its funny bits and its daft bits, it's also got its sensitive bits and it deals with issues. Even, you know, Hollyoaks deals with issues mm. just as much as, you know, some of these far more intelligent, intellectual BBC4 type programmes deal with issues. Television deals with issues. Doctor Who, on the other hand, is quite apart from a lot of television in that it's there purely for the escape. Now, if it deals with issues as well as being there for the escape, so much the better. But it's not it's not there like casualty is to deal with hospital issues mm. and EastEnders is to deal with relationship issues. Doctor Who isn't there to deal with a specific set of issues. So if you see somebody dying of cancer in casualty in the hospital and they're dealing with it in a relatively straightforward way, that is not the same mm. as if your next door neighbour has just had her head hacked off by some lunatic in her back garden, turning the telly on and seeing somebody's head getting hacked off. Yeah, at prime time. In a children's program. Yeah, and it's yeah. a thing. It's like that. It's it's a violent act. It's bang. It's there. It's <laughs> it's not in any context or anything. If you just see that split second thing happening, that is the action which people are finding disturbing, upsetting. Yeah. Well, it's it's a BBC flagship program. It's the biggest, one of the biggest programs in the world, TV programs in the world at the moment. It's it. The timing was utterly wrong. I mean, they are, it was either that or pull the episode all together and yeah. then play the episode in mm. another season somewhere down the line. Just pull the episode completely. Which you know, what, what, what would people have been more upset but happy that the scene was stayed in that way? Yeah. Uh, to be honest, looking at the scene, you're right. It doesn't. We don't miss. It. We don't miss anything, and it's actually better without it. Um, yeah, definitely better without it. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. Way better it's without it. It's quite cheesy. Yeah, it, it just... It, it, the, the thing about it is there are lots of little niggly problems with that episode. That episode is a load of fun, but there are lots of little niggly problems yeah, with yeah. it. But that would have been a big niggly problem with it if they'd have kept that in. Mm. Because, you know, it turns the character on his head and... Come the end of the episode, if that had stayed in and you know the sheriff's a robot, the whole episode would have meant something entirely different. Mm -hmm. And as it is... Can I just say, some people will think we're, we're saying this and saying it's just an excuse to try and, you know... Bump up the viewing figures by doing something controversial. No, 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 that what we're saying, because we're saying, oh, it's better without it anyway, it's like we're papering over the cracks and we're not. We're just... No, we've all <laughs> seen no, it. I think yeah. we've explained why we think it's yeah. better. And I we've think all seen yeah. it and it's... Nah. It's, it's like... I think okay. on the what was that ferry disaster where a ferry sank off the coast? Sabruga. Sabruga. 
And the Poseidon adventure was due to be on the following week and, of course, got replaced by another film in the yeah, sketch. absolutely. It's just been... It's no different from that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's, this is a psychological thing as well, isn't it? If you are affected... Issues. Yeah, it's a sensitivity issue. And some people... And I certainly am. I, I, You said about seeing it on the newspaper, and I try, and I have to... It's one of those things. I can't I'd, handle it. No, I don't like I it. I can't handle it. No, no. Yeah. It's beyond... It's the beyond is, the most sensible person in the world... If you say, okay, this scene's been deleted where this robot gets his head cut off, you can go and watch it in isolation and say, yeah, okay, that's fine. Mm. Watching it in the episode cold when you don't know about it, because if they hadn't, you know, taken it out and announced that they'd taken it out, 99.9% of the people watching that episode wouldn't have been expecting it to happen. And you can bet your ass that a good number of those people would have looked at that taking place in the episode if they'd have been watching it cold and thought, well, hang on. And even if that's all they thought, well, hang on, mm. that's st- it would have been a big reaction. And we may not have heard about the reaction because, you know, some guy in Dudley or whatever is yeah. not going to ring me up and say, well, I thought, well, hang on, when I saw that. So I'm not going to know what he's thinking. But you can bet your ass there's somebody in Dudley who's thinking it. There is a place called Dudley, isn't there? There it is. <laughs> <laughs> I, just, but... I would, would just say uh, some pretty terrible things have happened in our life. And I, I always remember that... Life has this funny way of sticking, particularly if there's a death in the family or something like that. Mm. We've had it before where there's been a death in the family and we've sat down to try and blot it out just for a few minutes by sticking on the television. And you can bet there's a drama on about an accident or an operation that's very similar to what's happened. Life just does that. It does. And you would turn the telly off and you'd try and do something else to try and... It does, and and I appreciate that some people aren't affected by that, and they feel that it's infringing their civil liberties to be able to watch what they want. But But just for for a minute, think about someone else. Yeah, but this, I mean, that's a personal thing. It is. As a broadcasting body, you can't do anything about personal things, but this whole thing with the beheadings is a national issue, and it's in the national psyche. So, of course, a responsible... Any broadcaster yeah. would have taken that scene out. Mm. I don't think. I don't think there's a single broadcaster in this country that would have played that episode unedited on Saturday and night. And just in response, very quickly to the the cancer thing, what you were saying, you know, um, oh, you know that, that you can't stop that happening and blah blah blah. It, depression was handled brilliantly in Doctor Who just a, a yes. few seasons back. Yeah. You know, sensitively and very very clever. And uh, almost invisible, in fact, in The Stranger, no pun intended. So the kids possibly didn't pick that up, but, you know, if you're clever enough, you do. And it was just handled fantastically. The whole mm. thing was really, really sensitive and really good. But, you know, it's, like you say, it's in the psyche at the moment. It's and the point it's is instant, well, it's, it's visceral yeah. at the moment. Vincent, the Doctor, was quite deliberately dealing with that issue. Yeah. Whereas Robots of Sherwood... I've pluralised it by accident now. <laughs> Freudian slip. Robot of Sherwood wasn't dealing with the current issue of the day. No. It just happened to be in there by coincidence. Mm. It didn't yeah. say anything about it. It didn't sanitise it in any way. It kind of, or maybe it over-sanitised it by making a joke of it, which made it perhaps even worse. Yeah, possibly. For some yeah. people. Yeah, yeah. So, it, yeah. It, there's no way it was ever going to be in. I think I'd be very surprised if it's not there on the Blu-ray. I imagine it'll get reinstated for the DVD and the Blu-ray because then it won't be an issue anymore. And no. then, of course, you don't have the other issue of people sitting down to watch it cold, not knowing that it's going to be there, or people just chancing upon it as they go mm. through the channels or just decide to watch Doctor Who tonight or something. Mm. If it's on the Blu-ray or the DVD, it's people's choice. 
Yeah. Maybe they could put it in branching, actually, because I think it's oh, still rather say, yeah, with or without, yeah. yeah. <coughs> with or without head, yeah. Because if they put it in and it's not branching, there'll be some fans who say, well, that's not the broadcast version. <laughs> True. Oh, dear. Hey, we're fans. Shall we move on, then? We've yes. got one more email. It's from Miles Northcott. It is, of course, a book. And Lee's going to take this one on the chin. Yeah, man, thank you. Um, what even is that first? Can you it read says, the first two? It says, hola, muchachos. Okay. <laughs> but I prefer to say, given that I've just mentioned your chin and given all that furry stuff that's all around it, I'm going to change that to hola, mustachios. <laughs> Thank you very much. You don't watch Dora the Explorer, do you? No, I do not. No. Why is it in it? What does that even mean? It's an American program. Yeah. Ah, that's why she spends her entire time in South America, where they all speak Hispanic languages. Yes, exactly. Right, so, M, are we talking about Miles here? Miles, yeah. Okay. Oh, man! So, third week in and a pattern is starting to emerge. A pattern of revisiting. Let me explain. First story, a visit to the past involving a creature from prehistory. The Doctor potentially kills. Second story introduces the Doctor to the Daleks and a classic story involving radiation poisoning. Third story goes back in time several hundred years where the Doctor meets a famous historical character. Fourth story sets fourth story set primarily on the TARDIS with mysterious spooky goings on. Is it Miles? I haven't seen the... Um... Yes, it's Miles. Yeah, no, I haven't seen the fourth story yet. So if anybody knows... Oh yeah, he said that, but um, actually it's not. Is it? I don't know. People thought that because okay, no, I'm not spoiling it for you. Listen, Stephen Moffat (laughs) said something in the preview. Okay, close your ears just for a second. Okay, go on. All right, in the preview, Stephen Moffat said Clara's off having a date. The Doctor's in the TARDIS having some downtime. What happens next? And everybody's taking that to mean the entire episode is set in the TARDIS. It's not right. Okay, so it's not a Doctor Light. Right, no. so, <laughs> and it doesn't have great big dinosaurs shagging each other on the dinner table either. Oh. Okay, which swaps. is one of the things that people had taken, <laughs> which is one of the things that turned up on that thread on Gallifrey Base where people have their on-set photos. Some Are you people, serious? Yes. <laughs> Okay. On Gallifrey uh, Base, on the thread where they have set photos that people take while they're watching Doctor Who being filmed. Yeah. And there was a scene from episode four, when they were filming episode four, it was in somebody's back garden in Cardiff. And what they'd done was set a dinner table out in the back garden. And then <laughs> the people down at BBC Wales, because they've got a lot of money to play with, had actually grown two dinosaurs from eggs using amber that they'd taken the DNA from. And these two dinosaurs were shagging on the table. Help. <laughs> I don't know what you're talking about. Are these people with too much time? Save me, Miles. Right, he says uh, swap stories three and four around and you could be talking about season one of Hartnell. Uh, I wonder if this trend will continue. What do you think of that, JR? Prehistory, Daleks and radiation, Doctor Alone in the TARDIS, and then an historical. Mm. Alternatively, he says. Alternatively, that could pretty much describe few other seasons as well yeah. actually but deep breath set in victorian england with some sparkling dialogue a creature much larger than it should have been and a foe from the 51st century with a disfigured face 
talons into the Dalek. The Doctor has to be miniaturised in order to journey inside a sick alien. His party is attacked by antibodies and his companion saves the day. Invisible enemy. Or the Doctor comes face to face with a single Dalek, injured, sick. The Doctor rants at the Dalek, which acts against type and turns good. Dalek. I think we mentioned this earlier, didn't we? Robot of Sherwood. Uh, the Doctor lands in medieval England, where a crashed spaceship has affected the lives of the locals. The inhabitants of the spaceship are in league with an evil local leader. There are robot knights, a castle, and spaceship explodes at the end. Time Warrior. Riffing off the show's rich back catalogue is absolutely fine, and there is also much different about these new Twelfth Doctor stories and using familiar storylines or ideas. May well be the other way of familiarising the audience with the new Doctor, although clearly this theory only works with long-term fans considering how long ago the original stories were screened. <sighs> Full stops. Um, I did find this week's adventure a little unsettling though. Certainly the weakest of the three so far. While still immensely enjoyable, certain aspects jarred a bit. The Doctor's childish spat with Robin was taken too far and I felt and risked undermining Capaldi's character which had been written and acted so perfectly last week. Yeah. Uh, the robot's weaponry coming from the crucifix in their heads seemed too convenient considering the time period where Billy, Ian, Babs and Vicky on Earth... Oh, were Billy, Ian, Babs and Vicky on Earth at the same time? Or Peter D, Tegan and Turlow? It's proven to be a very popular time period for the Doctor. The cross that the robots use isn't actually a, a cross, is it? As in a crucifix. It's a bit too low for that. It's just like a normal cross. Oh, it's isn't just it? like a red cross sort of yeah, type cross. Yeah, I don't think it is a crucifix. Um, no, he's not talking about crucifixes. <coughs> it says the robots weaponry coming from the crucifix in their head. Oh, yeah, but what he's actually talking about is the cross that um, King Richard took to the Holy Crusade. Uh huh. He's talking about Richard the Lionheart. Surely the robots didn't redesign themselves after they landed, and the denouement with the golden arrow was very corny. Also, why, when the robots needed as much gold as possible, were they following? Sorry, were they allowing the sheriff to give away that much gold as a prize? Good point. I know it was a trap, uh, but they were so close to finalising their plan, it seemed odd. However, there were triumphant moments too. The spoon fight was daft but glorious. Thank you very much. Clara's, Clara's line about, can you explain your plan without using the words Sonic and Screwdriver was marvellous. And how nice yeah. to see a story when the Sonic wasn't the get-out-of-jail-free card, which was a bit like um, Peter Davison years, wasn't it? Where it got destroyed in the visitation. I'm sure Simon will agree. Yeah. Okay, good. <laughs> so I don't need... know, the thing about the Sonic is, I'm sure I've said this before as well, it's not what you do with the Sonic, it's how you work out what you need to do with the Sonic. Mm. It only... Two things about the Sonic Screwdriver. It only solves things that the writer puts in there for the Sonic Screwdriver to solve. It doesn't solve stories. If you're using the Sonic Screwdriver to fix something at the end of the story, it's because the characters have worked out that that's the thing that needs to be fixed. Mm. So the plot is about the thing that needs to be fixed, not the actual fixing of it. Mm. It's like... If you had a car and it had a puncture, would you not use the jack to get the <laughs> car off the ground, right? Mm. If you've worked out that the problem in The Power of Three is that this machine is killing people because it thinks of them as vermin, you turn the machine off. 
The problem is not with using the sonic screwdriver to turn the machine off. The plot is about working out that it's a machine that's killing people because they think these people are vermin. Which you explained to me at length, if you remember, right? At the time of the power of three. But people are still banging on about it. But you're right. But you're right because the sonic screwdriver has become Jamie the Magic Torch, isn't it? You just yeah. flick a few buttons and it does everything. Well, this is it. The, the screwdriver is not just a screwdriver. It's, it does everything. But if you imagine it being a screwdriver, which is what I had to do after that 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 powerful speech that you gave me uh, as when we were talking about the power three and i was moaning about the end i th- i thought about it and thought yeah if it was a screwdriver you're absolutely right that's all it's used for it's just fixing the problem but it, it was look at all the things you can do with your phone uh you can't <laughs> yeah. jack up a car with it anyway uh... miles carries on to say <laughs> yet again the look and sound of the episode was top draw and the design of the robots was crucifix aside brilliant i do think this will be the marmite episode of the season the tone doesn't fit with everything else and next week's adventure looks to be heading back to darkness hooray he says i think the tone of this will fit in quite nicely with episodes five and whatever mummy on the orange express is i was surprised not to see missy this week there's a mummy on the orange express the phone call that he's taken at the end of the big bang uh there's a mummy on the Orient Express in space. Come and help. I was in space as well. Yeah. So okay. I, finally, the Doctor goes to the no, mummy that was in on a Matt the Orient Express. Yeah. So it's not a spoiler. Well, it is because I didn't realise it's going to be an episode. <laughs> I thought it was just one of those lines. Well, there you go. That Don't worry. That okay. everybody thought was going to be the Christmas special. I'm in a Doctor Who podcast. I'm never going to be We're able to it now. <laughs> Great. What episode's that? Uh, I think it's seven. Could be eight. Superb. Um, we yeah, know somebody's seven. written something about a mummy on the Orient Express, haven't hmm? yeah, It doesn't matter. There's a writer that I'm sure that we know that's written. No, it's Mummy on the Titanic. Oh, that's it. Yeah. Um, anyway, Marmite, he reckons. Tone doesn't fit, he thinks. Darkness, hurrah. I was surprised to see, or pr- was surprised not to see Missy this week, but then nobody sacrificed themselves, did they? Scoring this one then, 6.5 out of 10 for me. Now, that's what I would do but i'm not allowed to do point fives a couple of brief points before i scamper off love the current theme for the podcast thank you very much on behalf Um, of richard judge you arranged it along with the i'm shaking my booty one (laughs) this new order style is the best yet do you agree with that new order styley i adore new order yeah no talking about specifically the theme arrangement we've got at the moment yes yes I just let it play, whereas most of the others, I just skip through at times. Oh, that's most of yours. <laughs> you just skip no, through. No, my booty is one of mine. All right, um, and the Mississippi the is a one, river. Yeah, and the Mississippi is a river. Looking forward to this week's review and to having the other chaps back. Keep up the good work. Catch you earlier, M. Well, there you go. That's Miles. Mm. What did he say? Just a little bit up there. But we've still to score it. Let's not forget to score it this week. Let's score it now, shall we? Okay. Okay. Out of ten. Seven. Okay. Simon? I'd say seven, but I think that's too... If I say Too generous or too low? I think it's too generous, but at the same time, it was... It was great, so... I gave it a seven Mm. in my review, which was really a high six, because I thought... Yeah, this could be a six, but I'll give it the benefit of the doubt because I'm sure actually that once you watch it a second time and you're not quibbling over the problems anymore, it'll be a lot more entertaining. Mm. And yes, I'm sticking with the seven 
Yeah. I think that's what it's worth. But instead of being a low seven, it's now a high seven. Oh, okay. Yeah. See, I would have I would have agreed with Miles about six point five, but uh, you think it's yeah. a low seven then, yeah, really? Yeah, I do, but yeah. But then well, again, six point five rounds up to seven, doesn't it? Mm. I think you'll enjoy it more the second time because the second time, this always happens. The, for any problems you see the first time, you anticipate them the second time, so they're not problems anymore. Exactly I mean, the inside of the Dalek for me. Mm. I, I scored it so low the first time around. I think I'll give it a seven because I think. I give Mark Gatiss a hard time. <laughs> and I don't think it's right. I don't think it's right to pre preempt these these episodes. And I did. There was no there's no denying it. You think is this gonna be a good Gatiss? Well he surprised you. With, you really um, enjoyed it though, didn't you? I did really enjoy it. You thought yeah. It was good fun. Yeah. Because you, you kind of was quite happy to see something quite upbeat in Doctor Who. Yes. On yeah, Facebook. Absolutely. You were kind of like going, Oh, that was really fun. I enjoyed I know it. well, I needed it after the weekend we'd had well, there you are. Some of those, that stuff that was going on. But anyway, um, they surprised us with the Crimson Horror. And last week, when we were looking forward to this episode, we did actually say this stands a good chance of being another Crimson Horror. Yeah, yeah. And I'm making another paper aeroplane now <laughs> because, you know, I like ellipses, elliptical episodes. And if you were uh, making a paper aeroplane at the start of your podcast, you should be making another one at the end. So now. <laughs> Um, yep. It's how fiction works, Lee. You have to. It's true. If you're yeah. writing a decent novel or short story, then your short story or novel should start with something that, in some fashion, even if it's not an ostentatious fashion, should mirror how the story ends. I wrote a book, and I'm not going to say what it was to spoil it for anybody who may read it at some point which will probably never happen because it'll never get published but the first chapter the first thing that happens in the first chapter is there's an incident which involves water and it's a very odd thing and it's a throwaway thing and it doesn't really mean anything but fast forward 250 pages to the end of chapter 30 and the way the plot gets resolved is by the use of water in the exact opposite way to the incident with the water at the start. Mm -hmm. Because, and the way I've said it now, it sounds crap, but actually in the book it's quite nice because the first thing foreshadows the last thing, but not in a way that it makes you expect the last mm. thing. But somewhere in the back of your mind when you get to the last thing, you kind of think back to the first thing and, you know, maybe something oh, just okay. clicks and say, okay, I was kind of expecting that because in the back of my mind I've been wandering back to the first chapter and wondering why that thing happened. Now, if you were to make that paper plane, or you had made that paper plane at the beginning it's... of the podcast as opposed to the middle, that whole theory would have worked quite nicely. It was pretty early in the podcast. <laughs> I read the first email at the start of the podcast and then made the paper aeroplane. Yeah. And now I've just read the last email, so the other piece of paper's here, and now I've made a paper aeroplane that will fly. That does look good. Oh, all right then. Well done. That was very good. I did that deliberately. The yeah. first one crashed, the second one flew, because that's how you're going to end your podcast, isn't it? Yeah, it's just not oh, made a There gold. is a new theme coming. Okay. It's a coming. Excellent. You could have just told me that on Facebook. <clears throat> well, I just thought. Oh, can I just say, the I'm, war can I'm warming to the, new th the new Doctor Who theme. Starting to warm to it a bit. Oh, really? Yeah. Only slightly, though. <sighs> I think it's the worst one we've had. Do you know what? I'm not entirely sure they haven't remixed it just ever so slightly. Because 
I seem to be hearing the drums slightly more clearly oh, now. Oh, okay. Yeah. I don't know if that's just in my imagination because I'm listening <laughs> for the drums. Yeah, maybe. Whether you actually can hear them yeah. slightly more clearly. I'm not saying it's good. I'm mm. just it could be better. the stereo mix down. Sometimes you get that uh, mm. where yeah, it's a multi-channel mix and then they're obviously taking all these channels and sticking them down to two channels and mm. you get compression things going on and it, and it knocks out things in the centre of the mix, which is drums. So who knows? Just turn it up. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, well, next week, listen. I was JR. I was Lee. And I was Simon. And we will speak again soon. Hey, stop it. What are you talking about?